When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly View system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we analyse all the latest talking points, the news and the races in Formula One and of course throw in the occasional banter as well. And as always, my name is Adam, I'm one of your hosts and joining me once again, my co-host Courtney Pine. Courtney, hello there. How are you doing there this evening? You okay? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, For the first time this year, I finally feel that there's some light at the end of the tunnel with this whole COVID lot. So... I'm in a great place. I hope everyone else is feeling good. You know, there is going to be some end to this very soon. So I hope everyone's in high spirits. And I'm very excited about this episode. I can't lie. I can't contain it. Yeah, no, absolutely agree with you, mate. I mean, 2020 has been an absolutely ridiculous season for so many different reasons. Of course, um, by no short amount caused by COVID. Um, but it is thrown up so many surprises, so many exciting talking points. Not necessarily to do with what's actually going on on the track more so uh, what, what's happening off here and this week in particular has thrown up some mega crazy headlines it's almost like Christmas has come early for a few people in particular but um, I mean where would we begin I, mean, I suppose the first thing first is to quickly just update everyone uh, on Roman Grosjean who haven't been following Grosjean's progress since that uh, accident in the Bahrain Grand Prix which obviously a lot of people felt he was lucky to escape with his life I certainly was but um to cut a long story short on that, Grosjean has been making steady progress. Of course, he's been making some videos and, you know, having his bandages changed. And in some cases, a few of them removed on his hands. And he's been very, very upbeat. He's been sending positive messages to everyone, grateful for all of the support he received, especially from the medical experts that attended to him, not just at the actual circuit, but the hospital as well. And I even saw a video of Roman leaving hospital today being discharged. So that's fantastic news. It looks in great spirits, of course. Still hobbling a little bit, but quite honestly, he certainly was walking a lot better than I would be after stubbing a toe. So it just shows that Grosjean is made of a lot more sterner stuff than I am. But, uh, you know, fantastic to see on Roman Grosjean. And he seems upbeat. I did hear a rumour that he's been uh, basically talking to Gunther Steiner about possibly racing at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix uh, this time. That's right. I have that too. Yeah, I mean, that would be fantastic, of course, if that was to happen. But I, for one, would not want Grosjean to risk 
any more than he'd had to to actually be at that race. And if he was physically fit to compete, I'd say, you know what, the guy deserves a good send off. And hopefully this race will turn out to be a much more appropriate send off than what the Bahrain Grand Prix would have been. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for Roman on that one. Of course, keep an eye on how he does. But everything seems great news. So that's fantastic. So moving on, of course, the main talking points of this episode have been basically fueled and instigated by the sudden news that emerged yesterday morning of Lewis Hamilton contracting COVID. Now, a huge, huge shock to the system for a lot of people following the story. Um, Lewis himself obviously mentioned that he'd been in contact with someone on Monday that had been uh, tested positive for the virus. And Lewis himself woke up Tuesday morning feeling a little bit poorly got tested and the results came back positive. Obviously had another test as per protocol to confirm that result, which it did. So he's basically out of the bar of the Sakir Grand Prix this weekend and possibly maybe Abu Dhabi Grand Prix as well at the end of the season. So Lewis's season could be done. And that would be a shame because um, Lewis was on the verge, if he'd won the next two races, mm-hmm. of not only equaling the record set by Sebastian Vettel, Michael Schumacher for winning 13 Grand Prix in a single season. But by the law of averages, Lewis mm-hmm. would have had a better ratio than Schumacher. And I can see, Courtney, your phone sort of buzzing there yes. in the background. Yeah, let me see if I can sort that out. So uh, everyone get a nice little <laughs> Sorry, close-up phones. of Courtney's hand. So <laughs> There we have it. Very professional, go. very professional, uh, mate. I apologise. I'll tell you what, we never go one of these episodes without something playing up. So hopefully that's the one thing that happens. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, of course, um, you know, the big story about Lewis Hamilton getting COVID and he's going to possibly, he'll miss this week, weekend's race. Maybe the next one, we won't know. We wish Lewis well and we hope that he does recover very, very quickly. He said he's been feeling okay, slightly milder symptoms, so we'll just have to keep an eye on his progress, but he's definitely out of this weekend's race. But what that does is it throws up a huge, huge conundrum of who was going to take over and replace Lewis Hamilton. And we were having so many different names thrown into the hat. Obviously, Nico Hulkenberg, who's replaced Sergio Perez and Lance Stroll in two races for Racing Point, was throwing his hat in there. We had Stoffel Van Dorn, the Mercedes reserve driver, Esteban Gutierrez, of course, another driver that you know was being considered but in the end we got the dream scenario where George Russell who currently drives for the Williams on the Mercedes program of course has been given the call up to drive for the Mercedes team so Courtney I mean you were texting me back and forth on this really excited the prospect I know I was for sure but how great is it going to be to see George Russell finally get an opportunity in a car that can compete in the upper echelons of the grid for once, some kind of positive has come out of the negative, which is COVID-19. Um, obviously, I wish Lewis, you know, hope he gets well very soon. The, the man's a legend. We want him to come back strong for next season to go for that eighth world championship. But if any good was to come out of this, it would be George Russell getting a chance to drive that Mercedes because I've banged on about George getting a chance at Mercedes since we've started this podcast, Adam. And, you know, when we spoke about George in a, a couple of episodes ago, he must have been so frustrated to see the guys he'd been racing in junior categories, you know, getting a chance in midfield or, or in Alex Albon's case, a Red Bull, which could potentially go for race wins. And he's been struggling at the back. And I'm just so pleased he's going to get this chance. And it's going to be an amazing race because with the, with the track layout, which I'm sure we'll go to later on, Coming up against Valtteri Bottas, 
It's going to be a massive weekend for George and for Valtteri Bottas. And it's actually given some kind of excitement to a race that could have just been really kind of, you know, lacking kind of any excitement because both championships have been wrapped up. But actually, this story actually has generated so much more interest in the race that, you know, looking a few days ago, it would have been a basic race, really. Yeah, and after all, who says background politics can't be fun in sport? Eh? I, I certainly love that element of it as I've gotten <laughs> old. It's, it does, honestly, there are times where it does bring a level of excitement that is worthy of the sport, a sport like Formula One. You know, there are times when sometimes the races, the way that they go, aren't as exciting as what's going on behind the scenes. You just have to, you get to a point where you start to appreciate that a little bit more as a fan. And uh, I know I certainly have in the last five years or so in particular. But, um, you know, this is an incredible opportunity for George. This is the sort of thing that we've been saying for a long, long time. I mean, we even teased about the idea in Turkey um, with George Russell that, you know, people were talking about Lewis, you know, or something like that. And, you know, would George get the opportunity to step in? How would he fare against Valtteri Bottas given the opportunity? Well, guess what, guys? We are going to find out this weekend. How is George, the young man, tipped to eventually replace uh, Lewis Hamilton as being Mercedes' leading driver in the future? How does he stack up right now against the man who he's fighting for, fighting for his seat, basically, in Valtteri Bottas? You know, so there's certainly so many elements that, and so many thoughts that must be going through George's head. And there's going to be so much analysis on this, not necessarily just from us, but other people talking about how good is George Russell? I think that's a question we've not really been able to answer or had answered for us since George has stepped into Formula One. I mean, we can talk about his qualifying performances against his teammate, Mr. Saturday, he's been referred to. You know, he's never lost to a teammate in qualifying, although the only teammates he's had is Latifi and Robert Kibitza. So, you know, there's not much of a barometer to measure against, but obviously a regular appearer in Q2 this season in arguably the slowest car, all things considered. So there's so many good elements about George's abilities, um, you know, and, and in recent weeks in race trim, he's been pretty decent as well. So given all of that, putting him into a Mercedes car, is it fair to say, Courtney, that you know, that George has realistic chances of not just getting points. You know, we expect that to be the minimum, but is it realistic to say that George could possibly get a podium or even a win this weekend's race? So I think, I think for George, the, shall we say, the, the main aim must be a podium. It must be, because a points finish is one thing in the Williams. But should we say, if we just think, so we say the most negative outcome, if he has a clean race... He might be behind Valtteri because he hasn't really driven. He hasn't driven this year's Mercedes, and Valtteri might know little things with setup that might give him a slight advantage. And Max will be hungry, given the fact that Lewis is out to to get a win because Lewis has been a thorn in Max's side all season. So I think I think Max, once he found out that Lewis was healthy, he would have been rubbing his hands with glee, knowing that he's going to have a chance to win possibly this race or maybe next race if Lewis isn't there. So I think yeah, I think he should be aiming for a podium. If he adapts well to this Mercedes, you know, and we're 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 going to a track layout which is going to be power sensitive, so Mercedes should have a, a real advantage over the rest of the teams. If George gets this right and and pulls this off and gets a setup right, he could well get his first win. And what a great story it would be not only for George but for Formula One in a year that has been so negative. It would really be a brilliant story for us to celebrate the end of the season with. 
Absolutely. And it's important to point out uh, a, a usual caveat for driver substitutions is that, you know, the driver stepping in is obviously get, get used to the cars. You've already mentioned, Corley, that is an important factor. George is a bit unique in that he's very much closely knitted with the Mercedes inner circle. You know, he's done a lot of work with the simulator on the current car as well, whilst being at Williams. Um, you know, he's done some practice running in uh, more up to date cars. Last season, he was doing a lot of testing in Hungary. He also did the Abu Dhabi uh, tyre test at the end of the season with Valtteri Bottas, by which they were pretty much neck and neck on pace. So, you know, there are a lot of good positive signs coming from this decision that go in George's favour to suggest that he is not just going to be there in a very good car and like Nico Hülkenberg had to do, sort of get up to speed with the car over the course of the weekend to the point where he finds his pace at the next race if he gets another opportunity where in this case he's actually going to be should we should expect him to be relatively on it from the get-go I mean as a barometer for outright pace Courtney let's say qualifying let's take us to Saturday with George Russell you know he's in qualifying you know he gets through Q1 as he often does in the Williams anyway he gets to Q2 uh, and, and then you know he gets through Q2 and then he goes to Q3 for ultimate pace compared to Valtteri, what would you say would be a good result for George in terms of time to Valtteri? I think if he finishes second and probably he should be aiming to be within three tenths of Valtteri. I think that's the usual respectable gap between teammates, particularly as he's coming in to Mercedes. It would surprise me if he adapted straight away. And another thing worth remembering, I've mentioned this track layout so many times already, but Given the layout of this track, there's going to be so much slipstreaming. And I don't think pole position is important is it, at this race than it is in other races. So even if George starts behind Valtteri, this race is far from over come Sunday. Yeah, I think that's a fair barometer to consider. A few attempts, a fraction of a second, I suppose. I mean, with all due respect to Nicolas Latifi, Valtteri Bottas is a considerably better qualifier. I think Valtteri is one of the best qualifiers on the grid. It's just unfortunately for Valtteri, week in, week out, he's competing against the greatest qualifier Formula One has ever seen in Lewis Hamilton. You know, those are the levels that Valtteri has to meet. Um, it, it's almost a a misconstrued opinion, if you like, that Valtteri is not as good a driver as people think he is by the fact that he's not able to compete with Lewis. I mean, we're talking about Valtteri, who's a very, very good driver, but he has to compete with Lewis Hamilton. He's just not quite as good as Lewis. So, you know, it's going to be a tough one for George. This is certainly not going to be a walk in the park. And there's a lot of pressure now on both drivers. I mean, we talk about George Russell, you know, his junior career was very, very successful. The man thrived under pressure. You know, he faced a lot of that in the competition he faced. Um, most notably with, with, as you mentioned, his colleagues Lando Norris and Alex Albon in particular, who have driven much more competitive cars in their careers and both have a podium to their name, um, by which we never thought George would realise, perhaps for another couple of years at least, because he just didn't have the machinery. With all that said, the pressure on George Russell to deliver a result is a lot more intense than perhaps Mercedes are making it out to be. I think Mercedes are kind of downplaying this a little bit, as you would expect them to, thinking, well, you know, George is just stepping into Lewis's car. We're not expecting miracles here, even though George has this history with us. But do you think it'd be fair to say that this is a huge opportunity for George Russell to not only get a good result, but really let Mercedes know how good he is compared to the guy currently in that seat that he wants in Valtteri Bottas. I mean, how intense is the pressure on George Russell for this weekend race, in your opinion? I I think there is pressure on George, but this 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 is an early Christmas present for him. You know, because even if he 
stays relatively close to Belcher over the weekend, given all the things that we've already mentioned, I think that already gives him a good step going into next season. And if he continues to prove himself for Williams, because he said himself, you know, he's going to learn a lot from, from this weekend and possibly next weekend if he races again. He's going to get some experiences and I'm sure he'll get some data from his time at Mercedes that are going to help Williams go forward. So there's a lot of positives that come from this from George, but if he, and I, can't, I won't completely rule it out, if he does somehow stay neck and neck or even beat Valtteri, then the pressure's automatically on Valtteri. I, I personally feel at this point that there's going to be, as happy as Valtteri's going to be, he's going to have more chance in his mind of winning the race now Lewis isn't around. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. I feel there's going to be more uh, more pressure on Valtteri than there is George. Mm. No, I, I agree with that. I, I you know, and that's what I was going to go on to next. Um, you know, I've been looking at this situation. I think Valtteri, a lot of people would probably agree, is perhaps rather than do what Nico Rosberg did and try to build up momentum uh, in 2015 as he did the last few races, winning three on the bounce, when Lewis had kind of dipped his level after winning the World Championship. It set him up on a great platform of momentum going into the 2016 championship, which he eventually would go on to win. Valtteri Bottas has kind of gone the other way. He's kind of just, you know, things haven't really gone his way and rather try and be defiant and just say, look, I'm going to put my foot down and really send a message that I mean business going into next season. He hasn't really done that. And now he's faced in a position where George Russell is now stepping into his uh, Lewis's car. And I agree with you, even though Valtteri, is expected to be the favourite in this race. And I don't see any reason why that shouldn't be the case. Even though Max Verstappen was clearly better than him last weekend, we're racing on a different layout, a more Monza-style layout, if you think. And if Mercedes have that 1% performance advantage that they had in Monza, and bear in mind, guys, I say 1%, it's no me, it's no small amount. 1% is quite a huge margin of outright pace over your rivals, considering that most people... Most teams in uh, other seasons gone by have usually been around 0.1, slower than the leading car. 1% is huge. With that all being said, the expectation is for Valtteri to win and win relatively well. There's a lot of pressure on Valtteri to now all of a sudden go from this sort of funk that he's going through at the moment where he just wants the season to be over. He really needs to really find his A game now and really remind Mercedes why they're trusting him with that number two role because he's driving on what they call a multi-year deal, but he's basically driving every season to save his seat for the following one. So you have to feel that if Daltrey doesn't beat George, even if it's not necessarily large margin, if he doesn't beat George this weekend, there's going to be a lot of pressure going into next season and a lot of voices saying, well, George just jumped into that car and he outperformed Valtteri and he's been on the cusp of it for a while. Do we feel now is the right time to promote George over Valtteri Bottas for 2022? There's so much pressure on Valtteri. And uh, quite frankly, Corny, I I don't want to sound too optimistic, but I'm expecting something amazing from George this weekend. I've got a good feeling. or I certainly hope so. Yeah, I, it, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be fantastic if he does. I'll, I'll try my best not to be biased, but I've... You know, from 2018, the way, I, the way I saw him dominate that F2 series, you know, up against the likes of uh, Lando Norris in particular, who's done some good things in Formula One. I expect I, I expect a lot from him. And if he does, if, if he beats Daltrey, it just makes next season even more exciting. And I just I, I just hope if it's not, even if it's not this weekend, if he just has one good race, because I'm expecting him to race in Abu Dhabi, I could be wrong. But if he races in Abu Dhabi as well, he could have two chances, not one. And 
oh, if if he does it, he'll be he'll be fantastic for George. And there's so much support from George. Like I didn't realise he was so loved. But when I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was I was checking up the situation on on Twitter yesterday, and there are so many people that are supporting George. And it just it just be a great story. There'd be so much positivity if he does it. And fingers crossed, he does it, mate. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of positive voices coming from the Mercedes camp who know him better than anybody else. They know what he's good at. They know his strengths. They know his weaknesses and things he needs to work on. You know, overall this season, I think his racecraft hasn't been too bad. I know people will look at what happened in Mugello where he didn't get a great restart towards the end of the race, which potentially cost him a point. Obviously, that mistake he made at Imola behind the safety car as well, which cost him a point, potentially a championship point in that race, being the closest he's ever been to one. And, you know, that's something that's always played on his mind. But I just don't feel, as long as George has a clean race and nothing happens to him, hopefully that doesn't happen touch wood. It just seems that the last thing he should be thinking about is breaking that ducts and getting that championship point. I mean, he's in arguably the fastest car that's ever been created in Formula 1, arguably probably the fastest F1 car we'll see for the next decade, given that where the regulations are going. So this is a fantastic opportunity for a young man with a lot of potential, who people are still sitting on the fence as to whether or not he is as good as uh, the Max Verstappens or the Charles Leclerc's or, you know, th- those kind of drivers, those are going to be the caliber that he's going to be competing with for world championships in the future, you know? So you need to find out how good George Russell really is and what this kid can do in the right machine. And now granted, if it doesn't go well, I don't think that's still enough to say that George isn't ready because of course you need to prepare George. You need to have a preseason behind him to really get the maximum out of this car. But I have to say all things considered, Courtney, this is going to be one of those situations where I think George is more than prepared enough and more than good enough to really get at least 95% out of this Mercedes this weekend. Will that be enough to beat Valtteri? Of course, will it be enough to beat Max Verstappen? Let's not forget him. Even though the layout will favour the Mercedes, Max is definitely going to be more of a factor this weekend than you'd think now that Lewis is out of the picture. Yeah, so that's another thing that George really needs to be careful of. Max will try to bully him. If, if he out-qualifies Max, as I say, Max is going to be after this race, given that Lewis is out. So he's going to be hungry. And I do feel that he will try to bully George at the start if they go side-by-side. Uh, side. So I think George, the most important thing for him is he needs to have a clean race. Don't try to be the hero. Have a clean race. And the performance of that Mercedes, I'm, I'm sure, will get him over the line. Just try to keep it clean. Because I think that that's the one thing that could possibly go wrong. I expect Max to try and bully him, and he has to he has to be clever. Mm, no, absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, I mean, spare a thought for Stoffel Van Dorn, of course. While this was all going on, he was testing for the Mercedes Formula E team in Valencia with his teammate Nick De Vries, who was another outsider contender. Uh, Stoffel Van Dorn was the reserve driver at Mercedes and expected to be first in line for the call up. If, if required, he was going to be flying out to Bahrain, which I believe he has done anyway. That was always going to be the plan. So it's not by coincidence he's flown out there because Lewis has got COVID. But um, it would have been a good opportunity for Stoffel if he'd been given the nod to really remind people of his calibre. Because, I mean, we talk about George's impressive junior career. I think Stoffel van Dorn has got an even more impressive junior career in Formula 2. And uh, I think it's fair to say in, during his stint in McLaren, it wasn't really given the best equipment to really showcase his ability in that car. So, um, yeah, definitely spare a thought for Stoffel on that one. Esteban Gutierrez technically doesn't have a super licence. 
to uh, race this weekend. That's why he's not been given the nod. Um, I think a while ago they were considering extra practice sessions to give him that extra mileage that would allow him to bypass those regulations under the new rules that have been under super licenses. But uh, at the time, Total Wolf said they weren't planning to do that anytime soon. So he's staying in Formula E for the time being. And, um, you know, so, so there's so many options, but it was definitely George Russell was the number one choice, Courtney. And of course, it all depended on Williams giving the go ahead to allow their driver, technically their driver, whilst being a Mercedes driver, to compete for another team this weekend. So, you know, fair play to Williams on this one. Uh, it couldn't have been an easy decision for them. But for the fans, we'll certainly agree they've probably made the right one, even if it's not in their best interest. But they do have a more than capable backup lying in wait to take over. And that is Jack Aiken the uh, Formula 2 driver, Williams reserve driver as well. He will be stepping in to drive George Russell's car this weekend. And, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about Jack Aiken before the break, Courtney. I mean, what do you think this will be for him? Because this is a driver who we spoke about recently, you know, 25 years of age now. You know, he's a bit of make or break for his single-seater career. I just feel he may have one more year in F2, perhaps, before he needs to consider his options if Formula 1 is not the destination for him. How big an opportunity is this for Jack Aiken to show the Williams team that he is more than good enough to race in Formula One? I'm pleased you mentioned the uh, the fact this in a previous episode. So this is a prime uh, this is a probable opportunity for us to say check out the uh, the future of British Formula One episode. You can hear us discuss Jack, Jack Aiken in detail. But yeah, this this is an opportunity that he probably thought he'd never get. We talk about Christmas coming early for George. I think. Uh, I think two Christmases combined have come for Jack because he probably thought he'd never get a chance in Formula One. And um, even though he's at the back, you know, in a Williams that is expected to struggle over the weekend, it still gives him that experience because in F2, he has kind of tailed off in the last couple of seasons or so, but he's in a he's in a Campos team that isn't really the greatest. So he hasn't really been given an opportunity to compete in F2 at the very front. So I'm sure it's been frustrating. But yeah, I've, I mean, this could be an opportunity for him to, if it's not an opportunity to get into Formula One in the future, it certainly helps him raise his status if he's going to look to compete in other categories in the future. So it's great news for Jack as well as it is for George. Yeah, I'm really happy for Jack. And I think Jack has shown during his junior career, particularly in F2, that he is more than capable of an opportunity in Formula One and deserves a shot to show what he can do. I mean, it's funny because we look at a lot of these drivers. We mentioned George Russell's impressive career in Formula 2 and Formula 3. Of course, he was teammates with Jack Aitken for a couple of seasons, both in GP3, where George was comfortably the winner of that series with Jack Aitken in second, but, but quite some margin behind him. And then they went to F2 together in the ART team and where George shined, Jack was more languishing in the midfield. And, um, you know, this season with Campos has not been the best one with two podiums, you know, still pretty good. But uh, I, I think it's fair to say that Jack can certainly do more uh, given a bigger opportunity in a team like Williams, for example, in Formula One. I don't think we're expecting miracles from Jack, but I think we may see and learn a lot more about him. And let's not forget other drivers in the past who have equally had uh, struggles, I should say, in their junior career are not the most success compared to some of the others we've mentioned. Uh, Kamui Kobayashi was a great example years ago where he did well in the Japanese Super Formula. He shined in other series, but he never really caught the eye of so many people saying this guy needs to be in Formula One. Then he did a bit of running for Toyota 
in a test and he absolutely shone there and of course managed to build a relatively decent career in Formula One out of it as well so you know there's definitely an opportunity for Jack Aiken I'm glad he's getting a shot and I can't wait to see how he does as well alongside Nicholas Satifi I, I suppose the objective for Jack is not only to do well but to try and see if he can beat Nicholas Latifi and I think in qualifying uh, that's where Jack Aiken's strengths are compared to his racecraft. And I think that's an area that Williams will look at because it's probably fair to say Nicholas Latifi is a decent qualifier, but certainly not the most impressive qualifier I've seen. Yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity um, for Jack. And uh, again, there might be a little bit of pressure on uh, Latifi going into this weekend. He might see it as an opportunity, a little bit like Valtteri, that the stronger teammates out of the picture. But at the same time, it'd be a bit embarrassing for him if he gets beaten by a guy that just, just comes in for the first time. So there's going to be eyes on three, four, maybe five teams this weekend. And there's a lot of excitement. You know, I, I said it earlier, there's a lot of excitement going into a race that was expected to be average at best. So I'm definitely excited for it, mate. Yeah, I mean, the Monza element, and, uh, you know, I don't undersell this at all, because if you thought Monza qualifying, especially last year, was crazy, everyone trying to follow each other to get the best toe, it's going to be even worse at Bahrain. There's literally, like, four corners on the circuit. I mean, they have that That's little right. section where it breaks off after turn uh, four, I believe, which used to be the uh, when they extended the lap to like a two-minute lap. They had that little mini section they added into sector one, and it didn't really work. Well, that's going to be a part of it but it's just going to break off down the back straight to the final corner. So there's not many opportunities to sort of regain lap time um, if you get it wrong in that area. So there's going to be a lot of pressure in qualifying and it could create a mix up the order and perhaps some of the lower drag cars like the Williams, for example, might do really well there. I mean, could you imagine the irony of the situation? And I hope this doesn't happen to George Russell, but I saw someone mention it and it did make me laugh is that if George has a great race and then retires with a reliability issue, and then that promotes Jack Aitken into 10th place and he gets a point in the Williams before George Russell does. I mean, could you imagine how that'd be cruel? It would, but uh, (laughs) yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen or let's hope Jack does well, but of course not at George's expense. That's, you know, that's probably fair to say, but um, yeah, I think it's a good time to wrap this up for part one. And uh, in part two, we will talk about the other big news coming out this week from particularly the Haas team where they've announced their all new rookie lineup for next season. So we'll see you in part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. The DNF1 F1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip, news and events in the world of Formula One. In each episode, we discuss the hot topics, interview guests, as well as review each race from the Formula One World Championship. We upload new episodes weekly and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. We also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 Podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the Dean F1 F1 podcast. 
So hello, welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So in part two, we're going to be talking about the all-new driver lineup that Haas have announced for the 2021 season. Of course, the replacement for Roman Grosjean as well for this weekend and maybe even the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix weekend as well. We'll have to wait and see how Roman progresses as well. But first things first, guys, a few weeks ago, uh, I believe it was at the end of the... Uh, Turkish Grand Prix, where Lewis Hamilton had won his seventh world championship. And that episode did really, really well. And I said to you guys on the episode that if we managed to get to 100 subscribers before the end of the Formula One season and that video got over a thousand views, we would do a giveaway. And thankfully, you guys came through for us. You managed to deliver massively on that one. We hit both targets literally the weekend after that episode was put out. So to say thank you to you guys, we're going to give you a chance to win a few little goodies as it's the uh, season of giving, of course, Christmas time coming up soon. So this is what we're going to do. Very simple competition and the prizes are such. So for those of you eagle-eyed viewers would have noticed that I'm actually wearing uh, our new DNF1 F1 podcast shirt. So you can see it there. Nice little artwork. We've got merch. It's official. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah a little design there obviously with the logo and the little artwork as well sorry you can't see it too well whilst on the podcast but that's pretty much it. it's a nice shirt feels pretty good uh this one's a medium i mean it fits pretty well so for a chance for one of you guys to win this shirt and of course a mug as well a little dnf1 podcast coffee mug nice little now, nice little mug, stocking stuffer that's it these these mugs are very much a rare breed of mug. Not even I have one of those. I actually want one. So make sure you enter because if you don't, I'll be getting that mug. Well, that's it. I mean, I have got one for you, Courtney. I was going to give it to you soon now that lockdown is sort of finishing. So I might be able to drop one, just drop one for you. And then you can like in two meters away and then you can come and pick it up. Um, when I go and visit, when I go and they visit, they look really your work. nice though. The mugs, they do. Yeah, the mug, these, the these mugs are great. And the shirts, they're actually the, nice. These are great. They actually come through for me. The supplier that made these. So you know, thank you to them. But as I'm saying, guys, obviously for a chance to win the shirt and a mug for the first prize, and of course, two other people will get one of these mugs as well. All you have to do is like this video, subscribe to the channel, and also follow us on our Instagram page. And the reason why we ask you to do that as well is going to need you guys to send us a screenshot to us. So just message us on Instagram once you followed us to say that you have liked the video, subscribe to the channel, and of course, you're proving that you're following us. For those of you that have already subscribed to the channel, all you need to do, like the video and follow us on Instagram, and then send us a DM, basically showing us that you have. So do that, guys you know, get liking, get subscribing to the channel and follow us on Instagram as well. And you'll be within a chance to win one of those prizes. And of course, that competition will run up until the checkered flag is waved at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, where we will announce the three lucky winners on that podcast episode. So, you know, as I said, get liking, get subscribing and follow us on Instagram. Courtney's doing some good work on Instagram. So hopefully we can improve that situation and of course improve our numbers for increase the family that we are pretty much you know enjoy it well let's just say family yeah absolutely and you know the people that are joining the dnf1 family so yeah you know get joining get liking get subscribing so that's plugged nicely for us so let's talk about the other news Courtney we were going to get on about I've made an absolute pig's ear of that but anyway I digress um, I, I'm going to leave details in the description to the video on YouTube if you are following us on Spotify you will need to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel for you to uh, compete in this competition anyway 
let's get on to the announcement of Haas. Now, obviously, in the midst of all of the crazy news and rumours going on with who was going to replace Lewis Hamilton, we had news about Pietro Fittipaldi, who will be replacing Roman Grosjean for the Sakia Grand Prix. We don't know if this is going to be a replacement for Abu Dhabi. Of course, we'll have to wait and see how Roman progresses on that. But a relatively decent replacement. I mean, Pietro's done some running in the Haas, of course, has his super license, did pretty well in Formula 3 and uh, a pretty decent driver. So, uh, you know, not too much to say on him, but I think Haas would be okay with him. But the big story is the announcement of their new two drivers. So let's start with the big one, Mick Schumacher. Finally, Mick Schumacher is going to be on the Formula 1 grid in 2021 for the Haas team. We expected for a while that this news would be happening and yesterday with the announcement from Callum Eilot saying he wasn't going to be getting a seat who was Schumacher's main rival for the F2 championship and potentially a seat at Haas and also with Oscar Piastri being announced to replace Schumacher in the Prima team in F2 next season. It almost seemed imminent that Schumacher was going to get the call up and he did. So first things first Courtney, a Schumacher is back on the Formula 1 grid for the first time since the Brazilian Grand Prix in 2012. How excited are you to see Mick Schumacher follow in his father's footstep and take his uh, take his opportunity in Formula One? Well, I can certainly see how excited you are to see the son of your hero <laughs> racing in Formula One. You can, yeah, you can't hide it, Adam. I can see how much it's warm in your heart. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, um... Yeah. <laughs> you, you, look, you, have, you have a nostalgic twinkle in your eye, Adam. <laughs> I am a big fan of nostalgia. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, it's it's a really interesting one because you know he's mixed clearly good enough to drive in Formula One, but it's a very interesting situation because the obvious thing that's going to be said about Mick is oh, it's Michael Schumacher's son. He's going to be given opportunities that other drivers wouldn't have. Okay, every, you know that that could be that could be a factor. However. Being the son of Michael Schumacher, that puts so much pressure on you. Like if you're, if you're the, he sets such a bar. Like I, I know you're not gonna. It's gonna be very unlikely for him to get to that level. But being the son of Michael Schumacher, that's you've got massive shoes to fill there. Because if it's gonna be that automatically, that automatic assumption that you're gonna be brilliant because you're the son of Michael Schumacher, and it goes into that with a massive level of expectation for people that don't really know, know much about his actual ability of what he's done in junior categories. Let's just say neutral fans. They could be like, oh, it's Michael Schumacher's son. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be going for points finishes or maybe podiums. He has his own story to, to tell in Formula 1 and I hope that he's given a fair chance. I hope he isn't judged automatically if he has a couple of bad races as he goes in. He has his own story to make in Formula One, so I I just hope that you know he is he's he's good enough to race Formula One as I've already stated, but just give him a bit of time to settle in. I I'm I'm very interested to see how he gets on because it would be nice to see another Schumacher do well Formula One definitely. Yeah, I, I mean as you already said already, I'm incredibly excited about the prospect of seeing Mick Schumacher. I mean, the funny thing is about Mick Schumacher, it, it, the name does carry so much expectation and pressure, but I just feel next season, despite the excitement and the buzz of having Mick in the sport, the son of, as you mentioned, the seven-time champion, Michael Schumacher, until recently was unparalleled in his uh, achievements and accolades in Formula One until Lewis Hamilton recently uh, achieved similar feats it does carry an immense weight of expectation on him. I just think this season, 
you know, it being in arguably what's going to be the slowest car, I think Haas's car next season is not going to be that much better than this one. I think they know that there's not a lot of expectation on them. And with all due respect to them, I think for Mick Schumacher, all he really needs to do next season is show good pace, perform well, get the absolute most he can out of that car, and most importantly, beat his brand new teammate, who's also going to be competing in his rookie season in F1 that we'll talk a little bit about later on. So, you know, we've we've heard a lot about Mick in his junior career, of course, won the GP3 championship in brilliant style. That second half of that season, he was absolutely fantastic, unbeatable almost. You know, we mentioned him in an episode a couple of weeks ago on that one. We'll talk a little bit more about him in the winter break. But the one hallmark for Mick Schumacher has always been the second season where he's learned a lot more. He's put in a lot more work and he's become such a better driver in that second season than he is in the previous one. I know a lot of people saying he's not going to get that luxury in Formula One. In a way, I think he will. I could, I can't really see much of a situation unless it's an absolute nightmare for Mick where he's only going to be in Formula One for one season and he has to deliver. I do think that being who he is, the ability that he has shown in junior categories, particularly this season where he's on the verge now of winning the F2 championship and looks the hot favourite to seal that out against some good competition, might I add, including his new teammate. I just think that... Mick's going to be afforded the time to really learn his way in Formula One. You know, he's done some testing with Ferrari, did some testing with Alfa Romeo as well. So I just feel that Mick's the sort of guy that has the right skill set. He has definite hallmarks similar to his father um, that will help him along the way, that should help him deliver under pressure. And he's certainly faced a lot of pressure, but he's been very consistent. The second half of this F2 series, it's not the second half, I should say, this season in particular. He's got over 10 podiums. He's won a few races. He's been absolutely brilliant this season. The all-round package, I would say, not the fastest driver in F2. I'd say Callum Eilert looks the fastest driver. But Mick, the all-round package is definitely proving to be the best driver in that series. And by proxy of that, is more than good enough to have an opportunity racing Formula One. So, you know, I'm mega, mega excited to see what Mick can do in Formula One. I just feel that in the seat that he's going to be in, I don't feel that the expectations should be as immense as it probably will be, despite the media buzz and the attraction and everything else associated with the second coming of a Schumacher, if you like. You know, I mean, I was watching something the other day on something like with Mick Schumacher, and it's quite reasonable or plausible in this case to believe that Mick could become the greatest driver of his generation and still be the second best driver in his family. I mean, look at Ralph Schumacher, Michael's brother, for example. <laughs> Ralph Schumacher won six Grand Prix and was competing for a championship for a few seasons in the in the Williams team in the early 2000s. And yet some people consider his time in Formula One a failure. And I'm like, that's crazy. But all because they put him up against the pedestal, uh, put him up against the, the right. that his brother had placed, you know, nobody could match Schumacher. Until Hamilton recently, there was nobody that could match Michael. So... I don't think it will be fair to judge Mick in that same uh, that same weight or that same depth, I suppose, as his father. But there will be comparisons and there will be certain hallmarks that you'll see to Mick's driving. For those of you that haven't followed Mick Schumacher, there will be certain elements to his driving style and what he does and how he adapts himself that his father would have done as well. So I'm mega excited to see how this pans out. And I think Mick is going to do really well. I mean, he may not be fantastically quick. Qualifying has to be the priority to improve. But as I said before, you know, he may be a star in F1. We'll just have to wait and see. So, yeah, um, it's, yeah. I think he needs to. Sorry, Adam. No, no. Sorry. He, he, I think he needs to have a look 
I think he needs to have a look at how George done in Williams and how Charles Leclerc done uh, Alfa Romeo. I think that's that's where he needs to be looking. He's, he's not going to set the world for light, but just try to get the best out of the package that he has. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much the short and succinct version of basically what I went on and said. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. So, um, you know, we'll talk a bit more about Mick Schumacher in the offseason, what we expect from him, what he does offer, as we've already mentioned briefly. And uh, just to get an idea for those of you that don't know, to ascertain how good Mick really is, in our opinion. So we'll have to wait and see. But um, let's talk about, about his teammate, a driver that's been rather controversial, by contrast to Mick Schumacher, a driver that's had a lot of press about him, not necessarily for the right reasons, but in this season, he's been very, very impressive. And that has obviously afforded him an opportunity in Huss alongside Mick Schumacher. And that's Nikita Mazepin. Now we expected Nikita Mazepin to be in Formula One for a little while. It seemed after the Eiffel Grand Prix, a lot of rumors were going around saying that Nikita Mazepin was going to emerge as a leading candidate for a seat at the Haas team for 2021. That's happened. That's come to fruition. Is it fair to say, unlike Mick Schumacher, that Nikita Mazepin has gotten this Formula One opportunity um, in a large way because of the wealth of his family? Or do you feel that's unfair? Um, he hasn't been too bad in F2. He's been up there in a championship, let's say. Um, but yeah, try my best not to be biased for the Brits again, but I, I think that seat should have been kind of my lot, to be honest. I think, you know, you have the two two drivers at the top competing for the championship. They could have competed to be the number one driver at Haas next season. That would be really exciting to see. But it's just the nature of the sport. He's, he's not on the... I don't think he's on a Maldonado level where he's just there because of the money that he brings. He does have some talent. He does have some talent, but uh, I, I don't know. I... I'm not going to knock the guy until I've seen how he gets on in Formula One, but it would have been, I think it would have been better to have seen Callum. But who knows? He, he might he might surprise us all and do a good job next season. First things first, don't you dare diss the goat, Maldonado, like that. Like, you know, that guy is a <laughs> Formula know, One. Legend. We all know. Like, he needs to come back. I mean, there was. There was... <laughs> There was rumours about Maheve Ranganathan coming to drive in Mercedes instead of George Russell. I'm surprised that one didn't come to fruition. So, uh, you know, I, I guess you can't get everything you want these days, but never mind. But uh, yeah, on Nikita Mazepin, I think the best comparison uh, is the Lance Stroll comparison. You know, Lance got into Formula One, you know, he was very talented himself. Uh, you know, a GP3 champion, of course, like Mick Schumacher was. And, you know, his dad, a billionaire owner in Lawrence Stroll, helped him finance his way into Formula One. I mean, so many drivers have paid their way into Formula One. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, everybody has a backing or something about them that really takes them to that top level. You know, Mick Schumacher, obviously, it does help a lot having the name Schumacher. I mean, look at Nicky Lauda, great example. Nicky Lauda bought his way into Formula One. And I think it's fair to say people don't consider him to be a paid driver. You know, there's a lot of talent to his ability. And Nikita has got, a certain amount of credibility to his uh, Formula One or to his, to his motorsport skills, if you like. Um, you know, he was runner up in the GP3 series to the late Antoine Hubert, who's certainly no slouch himself. Currently third in the F2 championship this season behind Mick Schumacher and Callum Eilat. So, 
you know, Nikita is definitely a driver that's definitely done enough, in my opinion, to be given an opportunity in Formula One. But obviously, it will be very interesting to see how that goes. He definitely has a very much a single minded approach to how he wants to conduct himself in motorsport. And that's afforded him a lot of opportunities and worked well so far. So it's not going to be an easy ride for Mick Schumacher. And Nikita Mazepin has definitely given him a lot to think about in F2 this season. And I think that's going to be a good battle next season, because I think both drivers might expect to be in Formula One for at least a couple of years perhaps given their backgrounds and their ability, but that's going to be a good battle to look forward to and one that they will probably have to focus more on rather than trying to get into the midfield because Haas seems still quite some way away from that one. So um, before we wrap this episode up, Courtney, because we're pushing close now to around 45 minutes or so, I'm going to push you for a prediction for this weekend's race. And of course, we've got the revised layout. We've got the ring layout, which could be more of a Monza style. I'm going to push you for your top three this. And we don't normally do this anymore, but given this kind of episode, it's thrown up all sorts of crazy circumstances. It's definitely not the normal race. Who's going to be your top three? Okay, I'm going to play it safe. I think um, I think Valtteri's going to take advantage of this opportunity. Bottas first, I think. I think Mercedes is going to be so far ahead. I reckon it'd be Bottas first, George second, Max third. How about you, Adam? I agree with you in Bottas winning and George Russell second. But for the reasons you've just said, I'm going with Sergio Perez to finish third uh, and get that podium that he was so cruelly uh, missed out on in the last race in uh, Bahrain, of course, as you remember. I just think, as you mentioned, Mercedes was such a performance advantage. I just feel that the Mercedes power cars are really going to have a good time. Not to say Honda don't have a good engine, of course. At the Monza race, it was won by a Honda power car in Pierre Gasly under very strange circumstances. But um, obviously, I'm expecting the stronger teams the mercedes power teams to be very good i'm expecting williams to do relatively well as i said don't rule them out if george russell was driving in the williams there's definitely a reasonable suggestion that he could have got a point in this race for the williams team that's why i felt perhaps williams might feel um a bit nervous about the idea of letting george russell drive for mercedes of course as we said already before this episode it was definitely williams's call mercedes wanted russell as the number one priority to drive their car but if it wasn't going to happen it would be because Williams didn't veto Williams vetoed the decision but um yes interesting predictions let us know guys in the comment section who you think is going to come in our top three what you think about the George Russell uh what the opportunity for George Russell to drive for Mercedes to replace Lewis Hamilton you know are you excited about it how do you think George will fare and do you think that perhaps George will make get a podium or even win this race and let us know what you think about Haas's decision with Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin as well. So all that's left to say is thank you, Courtney, for joining me once again and co-hosting this episode with me. Always a pleasure. Love recording this one, mate. Yeah, it's been a good one to record as well. I've enjoyed it as well. And for those of you listening to us, thank you so much for tuning in uh, to this episode of the DNF1F1 podcast. Don't forget to support us, like this episode on YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. And don't forget to follow us on our social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as well. We've got the handles below. And of course, you've got our handles as well. Don't forget to give us a follow as well and engage with us on social media. We always enjoy talking to some of the supporters on the show and only one in the F1 community is more than welcome to have an interesting thorough debate with us as well so all that's left to say is guys thank you very much for tuning in stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast see you soon
Social Podcast Network.